0: Hello and welcome to Ernie Ball's Striking a Chord podcast. I'm Evan Ball. Today, I'll be speaking with guitarist of The Used, Joey Bradford. Joey Bradford of The Used joins us today. He's got a great story, a really interesting career trajectory, especially for anyone interested in making music their livelihood. When he was just 18, he hit the road to sell merch on the Warp Tour and hasn't looked back since. He knew what he wanted to do and did whatever it took to live it, selling merch, teching, and now he's in the used. So we talk about his path and we get a fascinating behind-the-scenes look at their last album. Specifically, we look at the high-energy, fast-paced, creative environment and creative process that their longtime pal and producer John Feldman brings to the table. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Joey Bradford. Joey Bradford, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. All right. So you joined The Used in 2018. Yeah. Have you known or, or listened to The Used for a while? Or what's the relationship to the band historically?
1: Um, I mean, before I started playing with the guys, I, I did know them vaguely. Uh, I played in a band before called Hell or High Water. And we had toured with the Used. We did a short run. Uh, man, I guess that was like 2011 or 12, way way back when. Um, but we had we had done a short run with them and kind of became buds, and then really vaguely kept in touch with each other, you know, as you do with touring buds. But yeah, I wasn't like close with the guys. I didn't have like a you know, I didn't call Bert one when, when it was time. I you know, I, I ended up coming into the band through Sean, the band's manager, and but yeah aside from me knowing the guys, I grew up a big fan of the band. So I, I mean, I was at some of their shows when I was in high school, you know, front row at the show. So oh, there's that's a lot, cool. Yeah. There's a handful of these spots that we've played since I've been in the band and I'll have kind of those trip out moments where I'm like, dang, I was that kid right there in this exact moment, you know?
0: Yeah. So when did you graduate high school?
1: Uh, 2005.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah, you would have been in that, that early stage. Yeah, Watching dude, right, their their gigs. Right, yeah,
1: they were breaking, and you know, back when people were still buying tons of records and going to shows all the time, and you know, all that fun stuff. So I was, I got to watch them on the uh In Love and Death tour with all their fun production, and that was the first time I had ever seen a band, a rock band, come out with crazy like all these dummies on stage and this big heart hanging, and just like extra stuff that I didn't even realize was part of rock music until I watched the U's do it. So, yeah pretty nuts
0: yeah so when they call you in is is it a result of that tour you did with them earlier or was it is it disconnected from that
1: no it's pretty i mean pretty disconnected i'm sure that had some impact just because we already knew each other and it kind of was an icebreaker but um i'd kind of found out that there was uh an opening in the band through through some other random circumstances and I reached out to our manager, Sean, and was just like, Hey, dude, uh, you know, I'm available. I don't know if you're auditioning guys or what the process looks like, but you know I heard a rumor that the youth might need a guy I would love to try out. You know, One of my favorite bands, I kind of fit the role. I'm a singer. I play guitar as well as I can. Let's see what happens. Um, and then, yeah, he, he hit me back a few weeks later And said hey you want to try out and we set a date and and all this stuff and um, i almost didn't get to make it to my audition in la my my daughter was born three days before i auditioned for the band oh and like the three weeks leading up i was kind of learning the songs and practicing my wife's like insanely pregnant and we're just (laughs) you know i'm texting with the guys like hey hopefully i can make it but you know i might not be able to come up i can't leave if my kid is one day old or not born yet. So right. she ended up she ended up being born. She came um she was a little late but but early enough. So we got to spend a few days together and I rushed up to LA to try out for the band and came straight home after and you know I hadn't practiced in a week and I was just like well that didn't happen. That's not gonna work out but it was fun to jam with the guys and, and then yeah they called me a couple of weeks later I'm like you want the job? I'm like yes, yes I do. Wow.
0: Yeah <laughs> hectic times. Hectic times very
1: very hectic. I thrive under those
0: yeah. Well, hey, at least it was uh, three days after instead of the day of. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. Okay. Nice to meet you. I got to go jam.
0: <laughs> right. So what was the tryout process like?
1: It was so casual, you know, and it, it's so interesting, you know, for, for my career, I've auditioned for some stuff and I've had guys come in and out of bands I've played in, you know, so I'm kind of used to the process. Um, it was interesting coming in with a band that's like, you know, we pretty much had the same guys involved their whole career so uh you know coming in and i'm expecting let's play the songs a bunch of times let's go over so let's talk about everything and it was it was not like that It as like i walked in with my amp and my pedal board and they're like okay cool gear let's play the songs and then just like i set up and then they clicked it off and we started playing we played three songs you know one time each and just barely got through the songs like it was rough you know we didn't weren't communicating hadn't played be- together before and that was kind of it i was like well i kind of blew that one but super chill guys love these people they're you know the sweetest people in the world a lot of common interests like it would be cool but you know maybe they'll call me to be their guitar tech someday and that and i left and and yeah so when i got the call to to come play with them i was pleasantly surprised and it's been such an amazing uh, journey thus far they're you know these guys have become my brothers and all of our families hang out and spend time together when we're on tour and yeah, it's been been. Oh, that's
0: great! Yeah, I'd always, I'd always think that they'd want to like you know hang out, go to dinner or something, make sure you're compatible socially. Yeah, you know? it was
1: like so quick. They're just like, well, you don't seem like a, a punk, so
0: you must have given off good vibes.
1: I guess, I guess I did, and I am very appreciative of them giving me the the you know the chance to be in their legendary band.
0: It, it sounds like it wasn't exactly a, a, a peaceful transition of power. Did did this put you in an awkward position?
1: Um, You know what? I think it helped the situation having me be the guy just because I, I knew the last guy and I had a previous relationship with him and I kind of had somewhat of an understanding of the situation that they Uh, were in. So I kind of just came in with, you know, my mouth shut, my peace sign up. Like, you know, I understand the situation there and I'm just going to try to make it as easy as possible for them to deal with it. So which is, you know, that's kind of been my role my whole career. Like, I have I take pride in kind of just being like the vibe tech. You know, I'd say 50% of my my job title since I've been touring has been like, a, you know, a therapist and <laughs> bring the mood up in the room. Like, you know, <laughs> that's kind of my thing. So I think that was a contributing factor to, you know, the transition. And And I think they just wanted someone in that wasn't going to be hard to deal with. Yeah, because there were definitely there was guys that were way more qualified than I am that shred way harder than I do that, you know, could have gotten the job. So well,
0: and that's why I asked about the like going out to dinner or whatever, because it is such a valuable trait. It's not just who can shred the fastest. It's, you know, your lives are so intertwined that you want to make sure you got the chemistry right.
1: And fortunately, you know, Sean uh, our manager, he, I've been working with Sean forever and we have, you know, a personal relationship as well, aside from just working together. So I'm sure that was a contributing factor. Right,
0: He could vouch for you.
1: Yeah. They've, they've had a friendly relationship with him for 20 years, 20 plus years. So
0: gotcha. Yeah. All right. So where did you grow up?
1: Um, I grew up here in, in Vista, California, just a, a little town in North San Diego. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of gave me an opportunity to be away from the water enough to where I wasn't engulfed in surfing and, and close enough to LA and San Diego to where I, you know, got to play with some really talented people growing up. But yeah, it's just a, just a little chill town. Kind of no one really knows about it. And we're tucked away in between some other cool cities and it's, it's beautiful out here though. I have a home here with my wife and and kid now and uh, my recording studios on our property. And, you know, we kind of, Get a lot of creative people coming through in the studio and we've created a nice little compound situation down here. It's cool.
0: Yeah, that's it. You know what I'm just remembering. I did a podcast with Eric Wilson of Sublime. I think he might be in your area. He mentioned Sublime playing on his porch, sort of Eric? rural San Diego.
1: Yeah, yeah. Eric Eric was just down the street from me. Yeah. He's um a buddy of mine, Dakota Racic was, you know, his one of his guitar wizard guys that's worked with them forever. But but yeah, he's, he's just down the street. We've definitely done like the gear trading thing. And, you know, come check out my spot. Come check out my spot. But yeah, yeah that guy's a legend. He's got a cool place too. Stunning view. Too. Got this deck that just oversees, you know, it's like a 360 view almost. Are you in that kind of setting too? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're in, uh, it's kind of in the country. So I'm, you know, where we're at on our property is kind of in a little valley. And we have, you know, it's like a four acre spot. Surrounded by some nature preserve, so it's it's this epic little gem um, of a quiet space. It kind of feels like you're in Montana you know what we're fifteen minutes from the beach, so that's awesome.
0: yeah, and city if you want it right you're not too yeah, far exactly. from San Diego, yeah
1: exactly so everything's pretty close, but far enough away to where we have this little quiet Zen den out here.
0: so you grew up there, uh, when does guitar come into the picture?
1: Uh, when I got into to middle school, I think about sixth grade is when I I saw some of my friends starting to play guitar. You know, I grew up playing sports, and yeah, you know, I got into to playing music. I played like clarinet was my first thing. I got obsessed with that and tried to tried to get really good at classical music and all that. And then just into middle school, it was kind of like, all right, I'm a grown up now. What do grown ups do? You know, <laughs> so so uh, that's when I picked up a guitar for the first time, and it was kind of had a lot to do with my older brother. My brother's 5 years older than me and you know growing up we were super competitive. So anything he would decide was his new interest, I like kind of just would swoop it, right? Like mm-hmm. okay, well this is what I do now and I need to thrive to be as good or better than you at whatever you do, you know, stupid brother stuff. But that honestly got me really really into wanting to be a guitar player and and then I became a bass player for a long time. But yeah, it was it was getting into punk rock music. And the idea of just picking up a guitar and, you know, getting to play power chords and getting to write a song really, really quick. I've always been a songwriter more than like, you know, I need to be a riff dominator. So I really quickly was like, all right, let's get into power chords. Let's figure out how to make this thing. Give me a template so I can write some lyrics and sing some shit, you know? So, sure. you know, bands yeah. like, like Blink-182 was San Diego royalty. So especially at that time in my life, I was like, I need to learn every enema of the state riff and <laughs> I need to become the yeah. guitar player for Blink 182 one day. So,
0: yeah. And they're, were they Poway? Is that close to you?
1: It's pretty close. Yeah. 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 That's which also pretty much North County. So, you yeah. know, all of the little cities in San Diego are about 20 minutes away from each other. But, but yeah, I mean, they, the lyrics of their songs are referencing like, you know, the places I go to eat and hang out with my friends. So they had a huge impact on all of my friends growing up. And that's what we did. I mean, when I was in high school, my first, Proper band was a pop punk band. You know, we—I'm sure we covered Blink songs and we covered Starting Line songs and Rufio, whatever we could do. But pop punk was kind of—that was my introduction.
0: Well, it is such a good entry point too, if people have the passion for it, because it's—it's it's accessible. I mean, like you said, yeah. you can you can get these power chords down and and kind of get up to speed pretty quick and and be playing.
1: Yeah, I love. My brother was always such, and he still is, but he's been such an incredible songwriter my whole life and he you know he didn't he wasn't this amazing guitar player amazing bass player he was just pretty mediocre but he was coming home and writing these songs that were so good and it was like i watched it and and you know kind of compartmentalized what's important like dang he's writing songs that are catchy and stuck in my head and he can't really even play this thing so if i can get halfway decent at the guitar and write songs as good as he can like I might be able to do this, you know. And maybe that's giving myself too much credit when I was that young. I don't think I was thinking that far ahead, but but I think I was just like influenced watching people around me able to write really good songs without having to spend 10 years practicing how to play the guitar first, you know. So
0: Well, that's probably a big advantage having a brother 5 years older that you're looking up to and wanting to sort of keep pace with. Cause that's, I mean, that's, that's a decent age gap, but you're probably getting pulled ahead pretty, pretty hard having that sort of role model.
1: Yeah. So he was feeding me music, you know, my, I didn't find out till later in life that my, my parents were actually, you know, pretty, pretty big into music when they were growing up. But my brother, he would feed me these, these bands and these albums, maybe a little younger than most people had gotten into them. So, you know, I was in, sixth or seventh grade starting to get into guitar and you know like trying to learn blink 182 riffs and he's like hey bro like why don't you check out this band radiohead and why don't you check out you know all these beatles records that you should have already heard and like you know he kind of fed me some stuff right at a really spongy moment in my guitar journey Uh where i was just like blown away really quick so you know from i graduated from from the power chords and and angry riffs really quickly into okay what's a delay about what's clean tone about and what's you know then dove into those amps and those sounds and those you know what are those players doing and i think that's been you know kind of a a, a good example of the way i still play guitar you know i would say random but i would say some of my biggest influences would be like a cross between Blink One Eighty Two and Radiohead, if that's not illegal to that's say. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like those are those are my favorites. Like I, anything, you know, in in the pop punk world or the pop world or the rock world. Like if there's a big catchy chorus, like those those hit rock songs. Those those were my money for sure. And then transitioning into anything that Radiohead ever did was so far left of that, and I found myself wanting to kind of be in the middle. So you know, which is great being in the used. It's like exactly what the used is, right? Like aggressive, modern rock with elements of beautiful analog classical influence all over the place.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Do you have a favorite Radiohead album?
1: I mean, for me, it's a toss up between Hail to the Thief and In Rainbows. And I know that I mean, no one's gonna diss those records. I know it's not as cool as saying like Pablo Honey is my favorite record of all time, but honestly, In Rainbows has probably gotten more spins than almost any record I've ever listened to, you know.
0: Yeah, great album. Is that the one they, they gave or didn't give away, but they asked for donations, do you remember?
1: That was the one. Yeah. yeah In yeah. Rainbows. They were the first band ever. It was like go on a great and-
0: business model.
1: Nothing or a million dollars, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it must be nice to be Radiohead and sure. pull that off too. <laughs> but but
0: it's an interesting psychological experiment because it's it's at a time when everyone was just stealing music, yep. trying to remember. Maybe it's it was right after. Um, God, what were those? What were those platforms? Oh, the, like the, Napster. The, and, Napster. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, and oh man, yeah.
0: So just just giving them here, you can have it for free, or you can choose to pay money. And I forget the stats. I remember most people paid though.
1: Most people paid and I think they made way more money than they would have and everyone was talking about it. I can remember vividly being outside of my studio talking with all my buds like, do you guys see this thing Radiohead's doing? Like, I wonder if we could do that, you know? So yeah, yeah, innovators in a lot of ways. Love that band.
0: All right. So when do you hit the road?
1: Aye, aye, aye. Hopefully spring.
0: Oh, no, sorry. I mean, back to your, the history. So we're in high school. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. God. Yeah, sorry.
0: Okay. We'll get back to that. So
1: my first band in, in high school, my pop punk band, there was four of us. It was me. My buddy Victor was playing drums. My buddy Kellen Aysbrook was playing guitar. And he's still in a touring band called Fruition out of Portland. That's incredible. And then um, Cove Reber was, was also our singer. And he was in Seosin for a long time. So that was kind of a springboard for a lot of us. Was Cove joined that band? He was still a, a senior at our high school.
0: Are they v- Vista or San Diego? I thought
1: they were Orange County. Uh, they're an Orange yeah. County band, but okay. but Cove was from down here. And yeah, he and I were actually big fans of the band. We were like on their message board, like we were full dorks in high school, just you know, yeah, diving into band stuff. And and he saw, I think it was Bo who posted on their message board, like, hey, we're we're auditioning singers and you know i say kobe was the lead singer of our band because it kind of makes the story make sense now but he kind of wasn't even like the lead singer he was he played bass and kind of sang <laughs> backup yeah and then he, he comes to us like in the middle of a school day he's like hey i'm i'm skipping school i'm gonna go you know learn these sales and songs send a demo to their guitar player and try out for the band we're like okay bud <laughs> like that's not a real thing so yeah, yeah. but yeah sure enough you know flash forward a, a, a couple months and he had basically joined the band they're like hey we're going on warp tour do you want to come and you're going to sing half the set we're going to have uh phil from story of the year is going to sing half the set and you're going to come out we're going to like slowly audition you on tour and see how ah, you do it's 18 wow. and who knows what's going to happen you know so so they did that and then on that tour about halfway through that tour i got a call from cove and he was like hey our merch guy has to leave you know, we've sold shirts before at our shows. You want to come be our merch guy? I'm like, sure. That sounds easy. So I, I flew out and met them. I was 18, you know, COVID been on tour for a little bit. And, and then all of a sudden I was a touring guy, you know, and, and I worked with Seosin for a couple of years on and off and then bounced around to a ton of bands. I worked with dredge. I did some stuff with thrice Delta spirit. You know, I was just like, jumped in deep into being a merch guy because that was kind of all I could do you know I, and I was playing guitar in bands and I was you know I, at home on a local level and and I had had a band we had got signed to a small label and we would do a couple tours here and there but mostly you know the the beginning five or six years of my touring career I was I was selling t-shirts or you know filling in for a band or guitar teching but but I didn't really get that chance to be on stage for a while.
0: So, so that decision to sell merch, is it that you like the idea of being on the road or just being around music or is the goal, uh, in your mind still about getting closer to playing music yourself? Maybe you'd make connections, get in the scene.
1: Yeah. It was always about stepping stones. And, you know, I was, I was super impressionable and super intimidated and, and really kind of stayed in the corner for their first couple of years selling shirts, you know, like especially being 18. Oh my God. Like when I meet these young kids on tour now, I feel like it's my, my duty to go make them not be scared of this whole world. Right. And like, <laughs> you're going to be fine. Everyone's going to take care of you and whatever. But, but yeah, at the time I kind of just laid back and, you know, I was trying to make my band at home work. You know, I really loved, it was called thieves and liars. We signed a face down records, this little hardcore label, kind of like a Led Zeppelin classic rock thing. And I was, I was the lead singer and I played bass but we just we you know we were a baby band we were the tours that we were getting were you know and playing in front of 20 people opening for some band that people also didn't know of just hemorrhaging money like it was just it was impossible to make it work and so i would bounce around it's like in between working in that band i would go work for whoever would pay me so i didn't have to to go get another job and i could meet some new people and then really quickly into the merch stuff I got opportunities to fill in for bands. Ah. I was out, I was actually working for a nonprofit organization, uh, Invisible Children, and we were out on tour with Thrice. And on that tour, Tepe had to leave the tour early. He had to leave a few shows before the tour was over for some family stuff. Also, side note, i I grew up the hugest fan of thrice, like just being on tour with them, like with the nonprofit was cool for me, you know, like, well, I get to watch one of my favorite bands every night. That's rad. Yeah. So then, you know, Tepe's getting ready to leave the tour, which had come out of nowhere. And Dustin comes up to the merch booth and he's like, Hey, Joe, you play guitar, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, dude, totally. Like, and at this point I hadn't played guitar on stage in you know, probably four or five years. Like I had been a bass player. That was it. You know? Okay. So. I'm like, yeah, dude, what do you, what do you need? Why are you asking me? You know, he's like, Hey, Tepe has to leave. We're going to have a couple guys from the tour fill in for him for the rest of the tour. You know, would you be down to learn five songs and, and play guitar for the rest of the tour? I'm like, yeah, dude. Oh uh, Yeah. <laughs> like, of course. You know, and he walks away and I'm just like, Oh my God, what did I do? Like, I, I can't do this shit, you know? So, but real quick after, after the show was over, you know, hopped on the bus, went into the back lounge with Tepe. You know, he hands me his Black Beauty that's like, to me, that was such a legendary guitar. It was in their old music videos and I'd grown up watching him play this guitar on, you know, through my computer and TV. So he hands me that guitar and he starts showing me these riffs that, you know, I secretly kind of already know from sitting in my bedroom growing up. And yeah, he was just like, Oh, you'll be fine. It's super easy. Here you go. Here's the riffs and, and then left. And I'm sitting there going, dude, this is not easy. You know, like (laughs) you've been playing these your whole life. I get it. But please, like I, that was the first time I ever had to do any sort of tapping riff. I remember like, Oh, here we go. This is my Van Halen moment. I've never done this. So let's see if it works. But, uh, But yeah, I had, I had 48 hours. And I sat in a hotel room to learn the five songs and and then jumped on stage. First show was in Colorado Springs. What
0: was the first show like? I
1: can like vividly remember it. I was so terrified before we walked on stage. And it was me and and two of the guys from Deer Hunter that played the rest of the set. But I had the first chunk. So it was like I had to open the show and the whole thing. And oh, my God.
0: That's crazy.
1: Awesome. It was the coolest experience. Everything went over really well. You know, by the fourth show, I was like sneaking in some harmonies on the mic and like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm in now. And that kind of honestly that moment, that that opportunity, that was when I really had a fire under my ass to to make this happen. I was like, okay. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I need to, to figure out, you know, who needs a guy or how can I start a band or what's what's the move, you know? And and from touring for a little bit, I had started to started to collect some connections and some people that could help me out.
0: That's crazy. So you put your time in, you never know when you're going to get the payoff or if it'll happen, oh but but eventually those connections surfaced and, and you took advantage. Hey, w- what's road life like in general for a merch guy?
1: It's busy, busy, busy days. You know, uh, my life was wild. I, it's crazy thinking back to it because I did so many club tours, but the only things I can remember are all the festival tours. You know, like I did warp tour a few times and that was grueling like that i you know this last time this last warp tour when we were out with the us and i was you know playing and had kind of this plush life there were certain days where i would go out when it was real hot and i would go bring water to the merch guys and like go sit down and talk with some of them like you're going to get through this you know
0: those are brutal days it's it's hot and humid in most of those dates and Dude, long days up-
1: What a life. Yeah. I remember waking up, you know, you had to be ready to go by 7am with your tent and all your merch to get your merch spot at the festival. So 7am we're up, we get the spot, we set up, you know, it takes a couple hours to set everything up. I was working for sales and on those tours. So they were selling tons of merch, you know, the young kids coming up. And so, yeah, so the setup took forever and then, all right, doors are at 1030. And by the time, you know, eight or 9pm rolls around and the day's over, like that's when I'm finally getting a break and then you got to break it down and then uh, everyone's partying. So it's like, okay, well, I want to be social and hang out and do that thing. So, you know, 6.30 a.m. till 1 or 2 a.m. every day for
0: eight weeks. Are you on their bus?
1: Yeah, we were off yeah. I had a bus, fortunately, which was nice. So I was on on the bus with the band, but, but you don't interact with, with anyone. You know, there was the five years that I sold merch there was almost this like invisible wall between the merch guys and that whole world. And even like the guitar techs and the tour managers, and it was just kind of like two different worlds because you didn't see each other. Yeah. You yeah. know, and even on club tours, like merch guy, okay, go load in through the front door and where the merch is and you hang out there. And,
0: and everyone else is backstage.
1: Yeah. And I remember when I, when I was a guitar tech, when I jumped into guitar teching, it was like, oh man, I haven't even seen where Merch is sold or where the merch guy is ever on this tour, you know it, it, things I didn't think about previously, but yeah, but it's been awesome i mean i I feel so um blessed to have been able to do so many different jobs in this industry you know i I tour managed for a little bit, I sold merch, I guitar teched for a while, sang off stage for some bands, like I've just kind of done whatever it takes to to continue to be in this industry and and now I'm to a point to where you know, all of the people kind of running the show are my peers and people that have come up with me over the last 15 years on tour. And even people I was selling t-shirts next to are now, you know, working at labels or management firms or, um, you know, or guitar companies or whatever it is, you know,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. I I would think doing those long days at the merge table, that's gotta be so motivating for you to like, did you want to get home and work on your own band? Oh my God. <laughs> like no, Dude, I want guitar- to be up on that stage.
1: Guitar checking was almost worse oh. because you, you get that short moment every day where you do get to play guitar on a stage, you know, but it was such a, just the tip moment where it's like, all right, everything sounds good. And there's all <laughs> these people fired up and ready to be entertained. Here's your guitar, go have fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've always been the guy too. like, even when I was teching or whatever, like I- I'll weasel my way in, you know, <laughs> like I filled in for uh, a band called A Static Lullaby. A few years back, they had done a, a reunion tour. They were a band active in the early 2000s. And I was on a tour. I was guitar teching for a Treyu, And uh, I was walking by a couple buds that were just having a random conversation. And I heard, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we need a bass player, but we'll figure it out. And I'm like, oh, I'll play bass. What are you talking about? And they're like, oh, we're doing this uh, Static by reunion tour. You want in? I was like, sure. I was like, okay, cool. I'll send you the songs and went back to work. And then, I mean, I literally ended up doing a full tour with that band.
0: Wow. And, you know, yeah. just, so you just got to be that, there. You know, you, you have the right to, mindset at 18. So I'm, I'm just going to jump in. Just show up,
1: dude. Be useful. Yeah. Be a dude. It's kind of, that's kind of what I try to live by. Just be chill and be good at what you do and don't let people down. And yeah, opportunities will show up.
0: All right, so you guys put an album out this year, Heartwork? We
1: did put one out this year, yes, in April.
0: Yeah, with with John Feldman? Oh yeah,
1: dude, what an incredible guy that guy is. Well,
0: it seems like he's been a staple of the band since really early on. Obviously, you weren't there for the earlier collaborations, but did you get a sense for their their history and relationship working together? Absolutely.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, you know, once once we were kind of past all the decision-making and figuring out what we were going to do for this record, and it was like, okay, let's go in with John and, and do this. I was not... I wouldn't say... Intimidated, but I was just really excited, I guess would be a great way to put it. Because from my perspective, growing up a fan, you know, everything that that band and that man have ever done together has been something that I've genuinely adopted into my life and loved and been influenced by. So the idea of getting to go into the studio and make a record with The Used and John Feldman was like really exciting. And, you know, day one when we got in there, you know, I shouldn't act like I wasn't intimidated. It was definitely intimidating the first day. We're just like, holy shit, you know, yeah. walk into a studio surrounded by platinum records and gold records from the band that I'm in. So this is yeah. his
0: studio at his house? Is,
1: yeah, his studio, yeah. An incredible facility. Um, but yeah, I walk in and, and you know, they hadn't seen each other in quite a while. So it was just like a family reunion, like immediately. So there was just kind of that warm and fuzzy feeling Right off the bat, there was no, like, let's get to know the producer and see how this is gonna go. And hopefully you like what we like. And, you know, it was just like, okay, here's a guitar. Let's start writing a song. You know, and we went out on his patio almost immediately with an acoustic guitar. And it was like, he was feeling me out. I could totally tell. It was just like, all right, what do you got? You know, and like play some riffs and play some chords and and here's a melody idea. And then I was like, okay, cool. Here's here's what I'm gonna do, (laughs) you know?
0: And so you guys are doing the writing there at his house. Or have you done a lot of it earlier?
1: Well, (laughs) we had worked for about a year at my house, my studio here in Vista. The band had flown out a few different times and we had written, I guess, close to like 30 songs. I also think I keep inflating that number every time I tell this story, but (laughs) we wrote a bunch of songs. You know, when we decided to go in with Feldman that first day that we got into the studio, it was kind of like, oh, hey, we have all these songs. Let's sit down. Maybe we'll take a day and like listen through and see what we want to, you know, use and whatever. And John was just kind of like, "No, we're not going to listen to those. We're going to just <laughs> we're going to start over." And I was like, oh. "Uh, okay." Like, you know, I'm not going to argue with whatever yeah. your idea is because it obviously has worked for the yeah. entire this band's career. So, so yeah, we we didn't. I still to this day, John hasn't heard any of those demos that we oh, worked no on way. for the whole year. Yeah. Oh he, man, he was just like, eh, no." Nah. So, so we went and started fresh, and we wrote everything almost a song a day. His system and the way that he. Kind of keeps the flow of traffic going when you're writing is on another level. I learned so much from this session. And, you know, I feel like I grew immensely as a songwriter as well, like just kind of learning other ways to do it that are effective. But yeah, what an incredible guy. I haven't ever seen a producer pull out so much magical stuff from the people in the room. What do
0: you think his his tricks are?
1: Uh, Caffeine is one of his (laughs) tricks. The dude is like a drug addict for caffeine. It's
0: awesome. He's just ripping. So it's his energy just keeping you guys moving.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things where you feel like if you're not keeping up with him, you're going to be left behind. You know, he's just like a moving train and I didn't see it stop once. Never once did I see John like hit a wall or get tired or not continue to be creative, you know? And it's, it's such a motivating thing to watch. And yeah, he's just a wizard, man. He's creative a hundred percent of the time. And it's so inspiring. You feel like you really have to show up and, and come with quality stuff, be it lyrics or riffs or ideas or whatever. So yeah, it just brings everyone to another level that you kind of didn't expect yourself to be in.
0: I guess that's not too surprising when you look at how prolific his career has been in his catalog to, to yeah, yeah. fit that much in there. He's got to be just moving, you know,
1: he's got to be from another planet.
0: Like there's a handful <laughs> of people that I've worked
1: with in, in my career that just have this thing that you can't explain. And it's like, how do, why don't I have that? You know, like I, I try to work just as hard and do all these things, but it's like, well, he was born with an, you know, some weird genetic next levelness that I am proud to be able to write alongside,
0: but I don't have it. Yeah. He he was on this podcast. So we got, he's got some great stories too. Oh man. And you can see his energy now. Just imagine what a wild man he was back in his early days. Oh my
1: God, dude. For the, the stories that I won't repeat, but the stories that the two of them have from their previous years are wild.
0: Hey, was, was the used his first major project apart from Goldfinger?
1: uh yeah, yeah, it was, and there was one other band um he worked on i wanna say it was messed yeah, yeah, but the used was like they together they both kind of broke, you know, like w- people knew who John Feldman was and knew who Goldfinger was, but the used record and and signing the used and producing that record, like both the used and John really exploded from that or at least that's kind of my understanding from listening to the history and you know kind of fly on the wall during some of those stories but yeah i mean and that's that's another thing that's so beautiful about getting to work with john is you know i feel like the way that that john and the used writes a record is unique to to this band you know i i know that it's probably similar when he's working with everyone else but it just felt like it feels like John is a member of the used and not even in like a oh, like we're writing this record and you're part of the deal. It's like, no, John, John's input and influence and ideas are, you know, absolutely count as much as anything anyone else in the band will say in the room. And no one questions it. It's just we're on the same page. He is a part of the sound of the used.
0: Yeah. Hey, do you know how the guys in the used even knew to reach out to him in the beginning? Cause like like we said, this is kind of the beginning of Feldman's producing career i believe
1: there's a few different versions i've heard um but i want to say that the one i've heard the most is is uh brandon the band's old drummer was a big goldfinger fan he was a huge fan of the band and he mailed john a demo or something like i want to say that there was a demo mailed to john that had box full of sharp objects on it and maybe it was taste of ink as well he was like in sweden and his someone got the CD and like mailed it to him to Sweden. He was like, you got to check this out. You know, pre-send me an MP3. Um, and he was in Sweden on tour and got the demo and called the guys and was like, hey, I'm when I'm done with this tour, you guys are going to come out to California and we're going to make this album. Like, let's do this. I'm going to help you get signed, the whole thing. So, you know, that's one of the stories I've heard. Yeah. And honestly, the guys in the band like can't even give me a straight story. Like <laughs> there's so many different
0: <laughs> just a, he's story. just always been there.
1: He's just always been there. Exactly. Yeah. And Bert Bert always says a really quippy thing, you know, he goes, If you would have told me, if you would have told me when I was, you know, ten years old that I would be the singer in a rock band and get to do this, I would have told you, you know, of course I fucking am. You know? <laughs> He always was like, this is me. This is what I'm destined to do. And I'm going to be the singer of a rock band. Uh-huh. And no one's going to get in my way. And yeah, Feldman was a huge springboard for the band to get to do that. And still here.
0: So it sounds like those two guys together are pretty driven.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And the two of them, it's like they feed off of each other. Like who can have more energy and who can oh, have more man. ideas.
0: And you sort of have a, 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 you know, judging by your last album, a network of collaborators with Feldman I see Fever and Blink-182. Oh, yeah.
1: We worked with a ton of people, some incredibly talented, all-over-the-board type of writers that we, that we worked with. You know, yeah. The day would basically start. We would come in the room, grab an acoustic guitar or get on the piano or whatever it was and start just kind of coming up with some chords, a vibe, an idea, maybe a chorus that started to feel like something. And then generally around that time, um, whoever we were going to do the co-write with that day would show up. Kind of jump into where we wherever we were at with the song, and it was such a cool thing. You know, I hadn't hadn't done a ton of co-writing with my own band. I've I've done co-writes with other bands where I've come into the room and helped them write a song, but but getting to have these resources and these incredibly talented people come into the room and kind of start to, you know, throw ideas at us while we're writing the song. It was so helpful and and so creative, and I think we came up with some you know some beautiful portraits of the lyrics that Bert was, you know, really wanting to get across, but so cool. I mean, we work with people like, uh, we work with this, this woman, Simon Wilcox, who is again, she's very much like Feldman where it's like, you couldn't have been born on this planet. Like everything that comes out of your mouth is, it seems like the stroke of a paintbrush. Like (laughs) how, how are you so full of incredibly intuitive, lyrical and melody ideas, you know? Yeah. We finished with, with her. And it was like, Oh, what if, you know, what is Simon you now done? What's her big credits? Cause she's so insane. She has to have worked with some incredible people. And it was like, Oh yeah, she's, you know, she's worked with Sia and she's worked with Kanye and we're just like, what the hell? I, that's <laughs> insane, you know, and now the yeah. used. So, wow um, but all over the place, I mean, some of these young, young kids, younger kids coming up that would walk in the room with ideas that never in a million years, we would have thought, would make sense with the use. But once we would kind of flesh them out and start to turn it into what our band is, it was like, oh, we wouldn't have, you know, I don't think that we would have come up with that on our own without some of these weird ideas being thrown at us and then us molding it into what the band is.
0: So these are just guys that Feldman has on his Rolodex, maybe younger bands, and he just knows their their idea sparkers and brings them in?
1: Absolutely, exactly. So that was like, it was almost every day when we were writing the record that was someone new. Like there was only a couple people that we worked with more than one time. But yeah, it was always like, oh, there's, you know, there's this kid that I think you would be awesome to, to work with. Let's see what happens. Bring him in. And then it's like, oh, this dude's awesome. And then we start looking up some of these artists they are like, oh, you're like a huge artist. We're just getting old. right (laughs) but uh, but yeah no it was it was incredible i mean um we work with this this dude jp clark who is amazing songwriter and he's worked with tons of artists uh we work with fem on a track and she was incredible to work with you know mark hoppus we worked with a couple songs with him and those turned out insanely awesome and that was a really cool thing for me you know having grown up in San Diego, as like a Blink kid, you know, and then being in Feldman's studio with the Used, writing a song with Mark and Travis. So like, oh,
0: I bet. So was that is that kind of deal where you you'll have a pre existing song, and Feldman would say, "Hey, that that would be cool if you split those verses up with Mark Hoppus, He'd be a good guy."
1: You know what? It was it was even before that. Like we would we really, really really were writing a song a day. So like we would start the song writer would show up to to contribute with us and bounce ideas off and you know by the early afternoon late afternoon the song was almost finished
0: uh so mark hoppus is there from the inception of of the songwriting process with you
1: showing up showing up uh, you know at at 1 p.m when we were getting there also and it was like all right here's here's the first couple chord ideas we have and he would be like oh cool i have have this idea in that vein maybe we could add this and it's like oh that's that's cool let's take part of your idea put it in with this and You know, before you blink, there's kind of the bones, there's structure of, you know, something that we can lay some melody and lyrics over. But I was, I was extremely impressed with Mark and so stoked to work with him. He's just very creative, like insanely creative ideas, deeper shit than I expected to come out of Mark Opus, you know, from Blink-182. But he's, he's an incredibly smart dude, a sweet man. And, and yeah, we wrote two songs with him. We wrote The Lighthouse with him, which is one of my favorite songs on the record. And um, that was actually a really cool experience, too, because that was, you know, we were kind of halfway through another song. We took a lunch break and I was just sitting in the control room with an acoustic guitar, just playing this random riff kind of over and over again. And Feldman walks in the room. He's like, oh, that's cool. Let's record that real quick. So I jumped in the room. Mike's already set up, record this one riff. And Mark walks in, oh, that's cool. Like, kind of have this. Melody idea that might make sense, and then Bert walks in and he's like, "Oh, uh, let me go first," you know. And Bert runs in and does this melody, and then you know, and the again in the blink of an eye, the song is in the shape that it's you know now in and that we release. And it was like, dang, that was such a cool, quick, awesome experience, just because everyone is firing off on all cylinders at all times, you know.
0: Man, that uh, sounds awesome. Just everyone just juiced on creativity, all on the same spot. Yeah, absolutely, super cool. All right. I got a series of stock questions I've been asking. Let's do it. Okay. If you could tour with any band or artist, past or present, who would it be? Oh, past or present.
1: Oh my God. I hope everyone answers <laughs> it like this, where they go, holy shit. Uh, they do. I Honestly, I think right now, and the first thing that's coming to mind, I would, I would be really stoked to go out with MGK. I think it would be a really weird interesting vibe for the band but i think it could be something really cool and modern and i could see some you know deeper collabs between us but um as far as ever oh man i can't lead with mgk i mean i i would love to go out and open for radiohead and do an insane left field set with the use right Yeah. yeah that would just be the craziest thing of all time if I could sit down with Tom York for five minutes and just like, listen to him say nothing, <laughs> that would be an interesting, awesome experience. There's so many artists I would just trip to get to go hang out with and jam. You know, I, I love, 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 love Jimmy at world. I'm sure we'll do stuff with them. Um, you know, touring with blink would be amazing, but like, past or present i mean zeppelin would have been a huge one for me pink floyd would have been the craziest david gilmore is probably my favorite guitar player of all time um damn it
0: i don't know how to answer that you gave it that's good you gave us a top seven
1: now I'm all excited one of those let's go all
0: right ideal set length
1: i think an hour and 15 minutes is the perfect set for any band okay i i only say that because i have a hard time once a band is past like i don't know 13 or 14 hits and they're you know an hour 15 i'm like okay if you if you leave now you're gonna leave me wanting more but once you get past the hour and a half hour 45 then i feel like people are just tired right like i love and again this is coming from a rock perspective but i love the energy being at 11 for a whole set and then just leave people wanting more, you know.
0: So, do those warped tour thirty-minute sets feel short to you, or or is... they do? Yeah, they
1: fly by so fast. But it's so rad to go out and play seven songs. You know what I mean? It's like, it, especially with the use. I mean, you're going to get seven songs that every kid in the crowd knows all the words to. So, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity to like, all right, we're going to play a new song, or we're going to play a B-side, or whatever. You know, that's kind of for the the club tour, but going out and playing those grip it and rip it like 30, 45 minute sets are badass.
0: Yeah. All right. Favorite way to pass your time on tour. Oh my God.
1: I do so many things, you know, I, I wish I had the luxury of like a hobby on the side, but I manage, uh, four bands. I run a recording studio. I do some session stuff. I, I, my hands are so full. So when I'm on tour, I'm just like computer nerd. I'll sit in the back by the trailer and drink my Red Bull and, and smoke my Jewel and, and rip emails. Yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, we, we used to get down on some hacky sack and some lawn games and um, yeah, a good old hang session. But I, don't, <laughs> I haven't been able to have any fun hobbies in quite a while.
0: All right, well, you mentioned early on that you grew up playing sports. If you were a professional athlete, what sport would you want it to be in?
1: Ooh, I would have loved to have, to have been a pitcher. In the MLB that would have been super cool really I was a pitcher all through through well most of my life but all through high school I loved it I was so, so lazy to pitch one every you know every third or fourth game I get to play a few innings like this is for me I'll hang out here with the guys you put me in a little bit I'm good to go
0: all right do you have a best gig or a worst gig ever anything that comes to mind
1: Ooh, uh I have uh a couple of those. Yes. Cool. Um, we did we did a festival a few years back. What was it? I think it was Welcome to Rockville. And we played we got to play a soccer stadium that was like densely packed from the the whole front of the the field, the stands, everything. It was just wild. It was Where one was of this? those uh it was in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. At a soccer stadium at, at uh, Welcome to Rockville. And it was just wild, you know, and we were in our dressing room kind of most of the day we had been doing a bunch of festivals. So I hadn't even walked on stage. The band hadn't even walked out to see where we were playing. We're just like, Oh, another festival. This would be awesome. Probably a few thousand kids be super cool. And we like put our ears on getting ready, jamming in the dressing room and, and it's time to go. We walk up to the stage and we're like, what the hell are we playing right now? Like there's, you know thirty five thousand people here densely packed ready for us to play oh man this massive stage full film crew the whole thing and it was you know the whole band even having done this our whole lives like we all kind of had like a quick panic attack real quick it was like okay we're gonna be fine let's go do this you know and yeah the set starts and it was the energy's through the roof and um yeah that was just one of those shows where you can't it's hard to explain how that feels you know it's like, man, just a sea of people. And you can literally see like a wave happening in the crowd. And, you know, on our song, Taste of Ink, we have a spot where the band cuts out and the whole crowd will sing will sing the lyric back to us. And, you know, there's a different effect when you do that and you have, you know, 25, 35,000 people all singing that lyric back to you. It's just like, holy oh, I'm shit. Sure. Like forget yeah. to keep playing the song, you know? <laughs> so, Is that
0: the song that gets the biggest reaction for you guys when you play live? Um, there's a
1: few that people go really, really hard to, um, but that song's just, uh, I think that's the one, right? Like that's people know about the break in the live set and they're excited to sing that one line and, and the chorus it's every time we play that song, the chorus is almost louder from the crowd than, you know, our in-ear packs are with what we're playing. So yeah. Yeah. And it's still, that's one of those trippy things for me with this band. It's like, man, I, I have so many young memories, attached to this song. So getting to play it from this perspective is what a wild thing.
0: Yeah, I bet. Do you have a worst gig ever?
1: Yes. So (laughs) I wouldn't say it's the worst because, uh, you know,
0: Honorable mention.
1: Yeah, there we go. So we played a show, um, in Oklahoma, man, it might've been on that same tour to be honest, now that I think about it, but it was a festival. It was the last show of the tour in Oklahoma and we played like we played after the colt and we were playing right before perfect circle who was headlining the show so there was 15,000 kids like a flat you know grass spot and we're on song 2 or 3 of the set like halfway through the song and my guitar cuts out just gone nothing no guitar and I'm the only guitar player in the band so you know at this point it's like oh cool the drums and the bass and the vocals are continuing to go in front of all these people and there's no guitar. And I'm like, you know, looking around at everything, my pedal board, my heads, my guitar tech's freaking out, running all over the stage. It's now long enough to where our drum tech runs over from the other side of the stage. He's trying to figure out what's going on. It was like a full minute of no guitar. Like, you know, the show must go on. We never stop. Keep playing the song kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the song ends, you know, Everyone in the band's kind of frustrated, like, what's going on, dude? Like, last show of the tour, come on. We still, like, Burt's, um, you know, talking to the crowd as long as he can. And at this point, it's been, like, three, four minutes of silence on stage. You know, so then Bert's just like, fuck this, we're going into the next song. So he just starts singing Taste of Ink, which is our, you know, the <laughs> song. He's just like, I don't care, we don't need the music, you guys know the song, right? And just start singing it. And at that point, I took my guitar off and set it down and I got on the mic and Bert and I just wailed that whole song acapella like as loud as we could. And the whole crowd was singing back to us. It, it turned from like, this is my nightmare to this may be the coolest moment in the band so far, you know, so I wouldn't call it the worst show ever, but it was like, holy crap how could this have gone wrong in front of so many people? And it felt like, you know, how unprofessional. And then for Bert to have the mind space to just say, you know what, we're here to entertain these people. They don't give a shit if there's guitar, they want to hear the song, let's go, you know, and it turned into a really special moment. So
0: That's awesome. You did it. Yeah. What's the phrase? Turn lemons into lemonade?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There was plenty of sugar in the lemonade. It tasted
0: delightful. Fantastic. All right. I got one more question. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite set of guitar strings? Oh my God, Ernie Ball. What well, we got?
1: 10 to 48s, 11 to
0: 52s, heavy bottom, all of them. I mean, oh, do you the, move the, around gauges?
1: I move around gauges. I play six different tunings live with this band.
0: Ah. Six dang. different
1: guitars. Yeah. Legendary Tim Dove keeping me laced up. He probably <laughs> just has me on speed dial now because I hit him up so often, but. Yeah, I'm all over the place with gauges. You know, some of the tunings I prefer um, some heavier gauges on the on the lower strings, and some all the tunings for the most part we play in in a drop version of it. You know, drop Mm D, drop C sharp, drop C, drop A sharp. There's so many, but they're all dropped. But for some reason, some of the lower tunings I really have to beef stuff up, and you know, with like drop D, I can play a somewhat standard gauge set of strings and still feels really good on the guitar but yeah these new ernie ball music man stingray rs's that i am now exclusively playing have also oh i didn't
0: get the memo you're playing a stingray huh
1: oh my god i love them i'm fully laced up now and they are yeah they're incredible instruments
0: what color do you have
1: i have five different colors
0: oh there you go well you've got six different tunings so
1: yeah, dude, I've <laughs> I have been hooked up, and yeah, all my dream guitars too. And the, these necks are incredible. I got the uh, you know the block pearl inlays on all of them. All of them have matching oh, headstocks. Yeah, light, I got a couple black. I did one of the uh, the stealth black, and we put all gold hardware on it,
0: and that is some Ooh, butter. Go. Loving nice. it. Yeah. All right, Joey Bradford. Thanks for being on the podcast. Dude, appreciate you having me. Love it. Thanks for tuning in to Striking Accord, and Ernie Ball podcast. And thanks to Joey Bradford for sharing his story. If you'd like to contact us, please email strikingaccord at ernieball.com
1: Yeah, just punk rock music is what really got me excited about playing guitar, and I just wanted to write those aggressive, like mean, heavy gained riffs. That was kind of that was my first love.